This morning, Samuel is our man. And really to understand him, you have to go to the very start of his story. And his story begins really with before he was even born, looking at his parents. And so we're going to start there. Turn to 1 Samuel 3. And as you're doing so, I'll set the stage with what chapter 1 and 2 are about. This is a brief synopsis. Uh, You can go back and read it later on this afternoon, but it kind of sets the stage. You look at his parents, and he doesn't have perfect parents. There is some dysfunction like all of us. Okay, His family is broken because he lives in a broken world, um, but it really does start there. Hannah, his mom, has a massive pain. Her massive pain is that she's barren. She cannot have children which is a huge deal in any age, but in this culture, all the more, it was a giant um, hurt for her. To add insult to injury, there's a second wife in the house. Did I mention that there was dysfunction in this household? Okay, This second wife was hurling abuse at Hannah for being barren. Now, rubbing salt on the insult, which had already been added to the injury, you have Eli the priest who thinks that she's a drunk woman because she's murmuring heartfelt petitions to God, but all you see is her lips moving and she's really praying, and Eli thinks she's a worthless drunk woman. (laughs) So this is is Hannah so far in a nutshell in verses 1 to 2. And then verse 19 uh, of chapter 1 really turns the story. It's a beautiful picture. Here's Hannah pouring out her petition before the Lord. And verse 19 is a beautiful verse. It says this, And the Lord remembered her. Five words that changed the course of this woman's life. And the Lord remembered her. Samuel was born. I just want to pause for a moment. Praise God for moms who have a personal relationship with God. This is a godly woman. It shows up in a few different ways, even in the first couple chapters of this book. Her response to the abuse that's being hurled on her. Where she places her trust And then the fact that she wants to dedicate this child that she's longed for, that she's dreamt of, that she's prayed and fasted for, that she's sought for, she wants to dedicate him back to the Lord from day one. She doesn't just make the vow like so many people do. She fulfills the vow. She consciously gives this child to God. Look at, uh, flip over to chapter 1. I I, I told you to go to chapter 3. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 27. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. Verse 28, so I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. Now, you're going to see this as the story unfolds, but parents, look at me for a second. The single biggest influencer in your child's life is modeling. This is taught in the scriptures, and it's reinforced. Again, science always catches up to scripture at some point. This is reinforced in all the data studies that are out there. Modeling by your caretaker, by your primary caretaker, ideally mom and dad, is the single biggest influencer of your kid's you know, behavior. When she named him, she named him Samuel. You know what Samuel means? God has heard. Do you see what she's doing with the name? Even in the naming, she's turning back to thank God for this child. She prays, she gets the child in her great joy. She doesn't just go off and forget all the things that that she vowed. She she fulfilled those. She named him God hears or God has heard. And then she models what it looks like to be be available to the Lord by by availing her son. If you read chapter 2, it's a great read. There's a song of Hannah after she gives birth. 
And it's a beautiful psalm because instead of focusing just on her joy, you know what it does? The thrust of the song focuses on the great goodness and glory of God, not just on her little thing. It's worth a read, chapter 2. All right, so he grows up around ministry, but then he receives his call, and he's probably in his mid-teens by now. Rob made a good point. When dedicating your child to the Lord, please don't just come leave your children at the church, okay? That's a crime, and that's not the way we do it now, right? So don't just, you know, don't just leave a baby at the doorstep, right? But this is very similar to praying and saying, God, I dedicate this child to full-time Christian service. Whether that be a missionary, whether that be you know in pastoral work, whether that be in you know in some kind of in some kind of ministry around the world. All right, so we pick it up in First uh, Samuel chapter three, starting in verse one. I'll just read through verse ten. It says this: The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. And go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel. Samuel, then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. I've talked to you about this before, but this idea of getting a call to ministry, getting a call to to some way of serving God or some new way of life, um, kind of has this this great mystery, this ethereal mystery that kind of goes, you know, um, attached to it. There's great mystery and there's great variety. When you talk to different people about, hey, how did you get called to ministry? When did you hear the call? I mean, these are the kinds of terms that the people will sometimes use. There's, there's huge variety to that. And sometimes it's very crystal and clear cut. And sometimes it's a little bit nebulous. But what's interesting is it's really, really common. I don't think I've had someone yet mean, what are you even talking? I don't even know what you're talking about. People will often have a sense and an idea about what that means. Calling speaks to the idea of vocation. Now, I really love studying the art of leadership. It's something I've been doing for a couple of decades now. And leadership books, both Christian and non-Christian, seem to offer some common advice when it comes to finding your call, finding your vocation. And and here's the common advice. The common advice is when you're... um, is, is, is when you kind of enter this sweet spot. And the sweet spot is the intersection of these two things. Finding what you are really, really good at and having that intersect with what you are really, really passionate about. So the idea of skill and passion coming together. Now think about if you only have one of these. Some of you are really, really, really good at something and you're making a lot of money doing that, but you're unfulfilled. 
You say, wow, I've leaned my ladder up against this wall. I climbed it really quickly. I'm evidently good at climbing ladders. But guess what? I'm up here. I've got the job. I've got the title. I've even got an office. And it just ain't happening for me. It's unfulfilling. That's a person who has the skill part down, but there's no passion to it. Now, some people go through life having all kinds of crazy passion. And they are just so passionate about their thing, um, but they never seem to land the part. They, they never seem to get the position. Uh, they don't get the call back. And so they go back and they watch the movie Rudy one more time and they psych themselves up. And they're like, the underdog, I can do this. I've got all kinds of passion. But passion never erases the fact that you simply stinketh at what you're pursuing, right? So that's all skill or all passion. But do you see what happens when those two line up? When skill and passion really line up, all of a sudden now you see, like, the, these are the people that say, gosh, I've found something, I'm doing something, I'm walking on this road, I feel like I was made for this. I love this, and I'm good at it, it just comes easy to me. So, that, if, if you read leadership books, they will come back to this kind of idea over and over and over again. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now, you're like, great, thanks a lot. How do we find that? Like, how do you get to that place? Maybe you're stuck not even in a job that you're great at. You're like, I'm in a lousy job that I'm not super good at. I'm not making a ton of money. I'm holding the ladder for someone else. They're stepping on my head. And there's about this much passion to it. We're going to have a prayer service um, right over here uh, for those of you who are in that place. That's where some of us are right now. It's the truth. You're walking in that and you're in this frustration. It's a hard place to be in. Let me give you a short answer to this. We're not going to spend a lot of time, but I think it's important because we think about this stuff a lot. Here's the short answer is to look out. When people are talking about their calling or their vocation, and God, what do you want me to be doing? You know what? You know what's emphasized there? Me. So there's a lot of self-inventory. There's a lot of self-reflection. There's a lot of self-focus. There's a lot of asking your friends, hey, what do you think I'm good at? Where do you see my passions? Now, I don't think any of that is bad in and of itself, but, but I think what happens is a lot of times we just tend to stop there and we just keep looking to ourselves, and, and we can't find out where it is. Look out is the idea of this. That, that is not the path, by the way. Here's what, here's what Jesus said, remember? If you want to find your life, lose it. If you want to keep your life, what did he say? Give it away. Here's, here's a simple idea that... As you listen to people, hey, how did, I'm going to share a few call stories. How did you get your call? I mean, how, how did you figure out to do what you're doing? Because you seem like you really love this, and you seem like you're really good at it. Like God made you for this. I'll tell you what seems to be a common thread is this. Not looking in. Well, I went to this. I, I, I spent three years just finding myself. That often doesn't work out well, by the way. Instead, so many times it's this. I saw a need, and I went and started to pursue it. Many times the story is this. I saw a needed, went and started to pursue it, and those who were there said, please leave. Uh, a guy on the Mexico team sh shared with me, he, he, he was a little bit lost on the team. He went and found a job to go do, and he was very politely in Christian love told, please leave. Please don't be part of our team. And so he kind of left, and praise God, he didn't just stop. He went and found somewhere else, and he got, he got to work, and he started doing things. You know what? 
Sometimes that's how God steers us, isn't it? Some of you have stories of where, you know, you, you started to just go meet a need. You saw the need. You're just like, well, this is evidence to me. And so you began to pursue it. Sometimes just hearing other people's stories kind of helps us get our head around this. These are, these are call stories that I have either had, uh, I've had within the last week and a half um, that will kind of, will kind of help, help shed some light. Uh, one is, I mentioned that I was at a wedding last week, and while I was at the rehearsal dinner, um, I really enjoyed my time with a couple of college guys. They were the band that we, or that at the wedding, and they were doing stuff. And so we just had an immediate connection. We had all kinds of fun stuff talking about. And, um, and this one guy's 19, year old, 19 years old. His name is James. We began talking, and, and um, so I just asked him some question. I'm like, James, you're 19, man. What are you going to do with your life? And James sat there, and we didn't know each other for more than, you know, whatever, 20 minutes over a meal, and he began to just sit there and tell me the story of his call to ministry. He said, man, I've lived in South America, and while I was in South America as a missionary kid, um, you know, I saw this school go on, I saw God do some neat things, came back up here, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, began to serve in the, in the area of, of leading worship, um, began to get more and more opportunities to that, and right now, I am convinced God wants me full-time to go and pursue that. I just, I love it, and God keeps opening doors for me. Nineteen. I was like, wow, what a, cool, what a cool story. Some of you just got back from Mexico. We're going to get to hear from the Mexico team in just a moment. But George and Stacy Palau. George and Stacy Palau are the ones who, uh, who started Grace Children's Home down in Rosarito, where we all go. They were living the good life. They had tech jobs in Santa Cruz. Been to Santa Cruz lately? Cool place to live, right? They had tech jobs in Santa Cruz. And what happens is they were going down with some of their Santa Cruz friends and building for... Uh, homes for people right across the border and what happened is they kept doing that and God kept stirring in them this this desire to find more and more reason to go back there they kept trying to work out how can we get down there more than once a year uh, twice a year isn't quite enough along came their missions pastor at Santa Cruz Bible at the time a guy by the name of Kurt Jones who some of you know and Kurt just put a little bug in there he said you know um, man, I can see you guys down there full time I mean you guys talk about this all the time and then one thing led to another. They went down there, went through the difficult part of starting an orphanage uh, in, a, in a different country with their life savings. And here they are still there however many years later, 10, 12 years later. Here's what's interesting. I've been talking to some of our team. We just had a neat fiesta time afterwards. Um, I got in on that because I'm the pastor. Uh, but I went and, and uh, just kidding. Um, but I got to just hear from the team. And you know what? Uh, stay tuned because I am just hearing from some, of, some people in our midst I, mean, I keep seeing this, like, when these people keep talking about how to get down there more than just, you know, once a year or a couple times a year. So stay tuned for that. I'm not sure. Uh, Sunday night, we got to hear from Mike Hansen. Mike, is, uh, Mike and Melissa went down. They're the ones that um, kind of, uh, <laughs> let me just put it this way. They helped George. If you met George Plot on there, they helped George with structure and details, okay? Not his forte. So Michael uh, goes down there, and he was helping out um, George, and he has this conversation with him. And George is an old buddy uh, from Santa Cruz. They went to church together. And they're just having a conversation. And George casually mentions this need that they have within the, the you know, Grace Children's Home and where he wants to take it. And Mike and Melissa had been praying, God, what do you want us to do? He had, once again, he was in a stable, comfortable job in Santa Cruz. And because they've been praying that, their ears were, were attuned to that. And he calls George back up and he says... Was that an invitation? Like what you just shared to me, was that an invitation? And George goes, yes, it was. And literally the rest is history. 
Two years ago, our team was down there when Mike and Melissa first showed up and started their ministry. That's been two years now, and they've been there ever since uh, doing the work of the ministry. Here's where it comes back to you. You are here for a reason. I mean that this morning. I think providentially you are here for a reason. But in a way bigger picture, you are on this planet for a reason. God has you here. What if you were to open your eyes to see a need and to start to meet it right now, right here, right where you're at? God steers that kind of life. That kind of life, it just says, God, I'm available, I'm here. Show me a need. I'm on it. I'm ready to obey. We've been in this series called Step of Yes, and I get that this is a little bit hard to see on the screen, especially with lights on, but what's green in this image? Do you see what's green? Go, right? Go is the green part. Green means go. God loves us right where where we are, and then he says this, go. I love you way too much to leave you right where you're at. Remember what he says to the disciples? He says, disciples, come follow me to the other side of the lake. We're getting on a boat. I don't know what the disciples really thought, but they might have think, cool, a boat ride with Jesus. You know, I hope they're serving shrimp. That sounds really, really fun. What proceeds to happen is that there's, you know, this, this storm and big things happen. It's not just quite the comfy, cozy uh, thing that they thought it was. On to Samuel's RSVP to this invitation that God gives to him, this call. I want to show you just three things uh, from, from, his, from his response. God has rejected Eli's household. Once again, this chapter is one and two. He's rejected Eli's household. He has two wicked sons that Eli hasn't restrained. And so he's calling a new prophet. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. And if you're taking notes, you can fill these in. Speak. This is, this is now Samuel's RSVP, his response to God's invitation. What's God's invitation in this case? It's him calling him persistently. Samuel. Samuel. Psst, up here. Samuel. You're right? He's, he calls him these, these different times. His response is speak. What is the prayer request of this teenager? I mean, it's of all the things he could have asked for. You know what he asked for? He says, speak, God. What a stance to take. Isn't that incredible to think about? What do you think you were praying about at 16? A new car. I mean, that's probably what I was thinking about or something else. But here's a teen saying, speak. Communicate. Talk to me. Reveal. On to the next part. Your servant. He knows who he is. And he knows who he's talking to. Now, I know it says that he, doesn't, he hasn't known God yet. But when you kind of get into the language, what that appears to be saying is this. He doesn't know God in this conversation relationship way. Remember, he's been raised at the temple. He knows who God is in kind of this, you know, out there sense. But he doesn't know what it's like to speak directly to God and be spoken to directly from God. That's a lot of our church experience growing up, too. We kind of came, we were around it, we were near it a bunch, but then some of us have this story where all of a sudden, wow, God is speaking to me directly through his word. God is speaking directly as I pray, and he answers, he keeps doing, the Lord remembered me. And all of a sudden, the story changes. So he doesn't know him yet in that way, but he is reverent, and he's drawn to him. And he knew who he was in relation to God, your servant. That's a part of his identity. 
What's the last part? Is listening. Again, what an incredible stance to take with God. Remember how the Lord taught us to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm listening. I'm here to primarily listen and receive from you, God, my marching orders for the day. What's my assignment for the day? That's the stance that young Samuel takes. We've been doing uh, midweek this summer. We're a few weeks into it now. We're at the halfway point. We've been doing the Summer Theologian Series. And it's been so fun to, to have you guys coming out, coming out on a Wednesday night. This Wednesday night for the Spiritual Disciplines class, we're going to be looking at silence and solitude. And that's a discipline in our day and age. You have to really carve that out to go be you know, silent and in solitude before the Lord. But we see that modeled throughout Scripture. And as I was thinking about this idea of listening, what are the spiritual disciplines but different ways of seeking after and listening to God? You know what fasting is? It's listening with your whole body. Meditation and prayer are listening to God. Silence and solitude is actively seeking out God by, by creating things around you. I think this is highly relevant in a valley that knows no speed limit for the soul, right? Is this idea of stopping, being quiet, be still and know that I am God. Listen. Then I started thinking of the two other tracks. How important is listening in the marriage track? Huge. It's massive to really stop and just understand your spouse. Then I started thinking about the witnessing track. How, how imperative is it? For you to be an effective witness of Jesus Christ, that as you're talking to an individual, you don't just go up to them with your Amway script, kind of barf it out on them, and then look for a response. But rather you're there and you're really attentive and you're really listening to them. So I just see this in all kinds of different areas. But back to this idea of, of listening to God. Samuel's saying, I'm here, God. Speak to me. I'm your servant. I'm ready to obey. I'm all ears. All three of these responses have something in common. Do you see what it is? Speak. I'm available, Samuel is available, to relate to God. Your servant. What is the servant always to his master? He's available. We might say it this way. He's at his beck and call. And what is listening but an exercise in being available? Notepad out. Planner out. Laid, you know, uh, Lay it on me. I'm ready. I'm ready to obey. Now, when I say that someone is available, don't think church answer here. Don't think what's on the slide. When someone says they're available, what does that mean to you normally? What's, what's, what, what comes to mind? What? Seven, okay, yeah. 24-7 idea? Okay. See, we don't have, here's what we don't have enough of in this room right at this moment. We don't have young dating college students. Okay? Here's, here's my brain was going with that. When someone says, I'm available, you, you go right to the office. You were thinking kind of just, you know, at, at, at any time. Um, here's another common cultural, you know, idea is I am open for dating. I'm available to be pursued. And when you think about this idea of of available, it means you're not tied down to anyone. You're able to be approached. And I began thinking about someone being available, and I thought, wow, that's not a bad picture for us and God. Remember our whole Smitten series? This idea of being in a love relationship with God? 
Here's what I'd say. To those who are not yet married to God, avail yourself to him. Just be available to him. Avail yourself. It's always the first call for God to, become, to, to come into relationship with him before going and doing stuff. That's the, that's the idea of finding your identity in Christ and then going and living that out rather than going and doing a bunch of good stuff in hopes to somehow gain identity in Christ. Make sense? If you are married to God, if you wear one of these, so to speak, and you proudly name the name of Christ, here's what I'd say. Stay available to God. Continue daily to avail yourself to God. What does a great spouse do? They're attentive to the one that they love. Man, some good thoughts there. Speak, for your servant is listening. Now, how did Samuel get such wisdom? He's a teenager. I believe it was because he listened to his mentor, an imperfect guy who gave him great advice and he be, be, because he knew God. How do I get to this conclusion? You look at the previous re, um, replies, they sound, they, they, they sound pretty average teen speak to me. He hears his name, he goes in, says, I'm here, what do you want? You called me. Kid, go back to bed. Comes, does that three times. Nothing really remarkable there. He was just doing what kind of came to his brain to go and do. Uh, you know, Eli sounds a little bit like some of those, us groggy parents who have children and, you know, you're being woken up in the middle of the night. You know, we love our kids. We serve them. But we're like, please go back to sleep. You know, let's, let's figure this out in the morning hour sometime. But after three times, he figures it out. And then he gives his great advice to him. He says, speak for your servant is listening. The best illustrations are the ones that are lived out in our own community. I just told you three stories of people and kind of how they got their call and what they were involved in. Um, Christine, I want you to come on up. Uh, we, we, get, we get to see from kind of a, a front row seat um, some things that God's been doing in Christine's life. And um, I have asked her to share a little bit. Uh, you know, first day of school, you'll often hear, hey, tell us about your summer vacation. What did you go and do? Uh, Christine's got a pretty cool answer. So share, share with us where you've been uh, the last several weeks and what you've been doing. Tell me what. Um, so as Pastor Dave just said, my name is Christine, and I just spent the last eight weeks in East Asia. I was one of 18 students involved in a program called Face to Face. After we went through a few days of spiritual and cultural training, we were sent out into four different areas in Asia. My team consisted of four people, and we worked in several places. We taught English, helped in a preschool, led Bible studies, assisted at an international school, ran a VBS, participated at an English corner, and taught Sunday school. Looking back, I think I learned three things this summer. First of all, I learned a lot about a different culture. This is a culture that will eat scorpions, park their car in the middle of the street, and barbecue their dinner on bicycle spokes. <laughs> Um, and we didn't die from that, so it's okay. <laughs> their schools are impressive, and on days when the sky isn't dark with fog and smog, their scenery is very beautiful. Secondly, I learned to be flexible. In the, let's see, which one? Go to the second one. Yeah. Okay, just kidding. Next one. Yeah. Yeah, so you can see in the upper right-hand corner, um, it's a picture of my attempts at teaching English. One day, I was told to go to a classroom, and so when I got there, they handed me a textbook, and they told me that I was in charge of teaching a one-hour English class. Um, I didn't know the textbook. I didn't know the kids. I didn't know anything really about teaching English, so I just prayed, and I did my best. 
Um, thirdly, I learned to rely on the Holy Spirit. I was supposed to speak at a retreat for about an hour and a half, and although I had tried beforehand to come up with something to say, I just couldn't, couldn't think of anything. And so as I stood to speak and I was walking to the front of the room, um, I prayed and I said, God, I don't know what to say, and I've got a really long time to talk, so please help me. And he did. Um, when I got up there, words just started popping into my head, and I could speak for the whole hour and a half. Um, if you'd like to know more about my trip, just ask me, and I would love to tell you more. Thank you. Thanks for saying. <laughs> Stay up here. Thank you. Um, so any, any short-term trip that ever goes on, there's, there's a process to what led you to the decision and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, we're only going to take a tiny bit and look. It's really hard. I told, told Christine this. It's really hard to take weeks of life-changing learning experience and condense it down into a short period of time. But I wanted to leave time for this. Her story gets even better. We just looked back kind of at, at her summer and, and what's gone on with that. But God's not done with Christine yet. Sometimes the big assignment that you said yes to is only kind of like the, the, the pregame warm-up for something even bigger that God has you going on. So um, tell us about what the plan is for your next 12 months. Um, I will be teaching English in East Asia for the next year. Okay. Uh, and when do, you, when do you start that? Um, August 9th. I'm flying back. Okay. So Christine goes this, uh, this last few months to go and, and avail herself and do these things. And it was really, was it, was it during that trip that, that led to this, this next year? Mm -hmm. Okay. So on that trip, all of a sudden there comes this opportunity and she now has the opportunity to go back for an entire year and do it. I don't know if you see this, but this is the idea that God is still inviting. Do you see that young people are still listening and saying, speak for your servant is listening? Do you see that her parents, Ron and Sue Barber, have dedicated their child and availed their child to the Lord's service? As hard as it's going to be to have their child gone, um, how old are you, Christine? I just turned 17. She just turned 17, like a week ago. And so it's hard to do that. But you know what? Her parents are rejoicing because this is what they've done. They said, God, this child is yours. So here we have Hannah who dedicates Samuel and avails him to the Lord's work. And in our midst, we have the barbers availing their child to the Lord's work. And what's God doing? God's calling her. And what's she doing? She's listening and responding and not just making a vow, but fulfilling the vow, going on. So I have a couple more questions for her. That's why I told her to stand up here and awkwardly stand while I talked. Um, sometimes, sometimes we miss things right in front of us. We miss the wonder that's right in our own midst because it just seems kind of common and, and it, sounds, it sounds more glorious or glamorous in some other place. But here it is going right here. So here's my questions. What plans did you have that are being disrupted by this, this step of yes for you? Um, well, I was going to go back to college and I was going to get my driver's license and I was going to, you know, lead Awana clubs and all that kinds of stuff this year. Okay. So, again, she laid out for me. Here's some of the things that I was, you know, planning on doing. Right? And, and God has disrupted that. Now tell me about how God confirmed that he was really calling you to this. Um, well, first of all, um, just the timing was perfect. I graduated a year early from high school, and so um, I will actually be using that extra year, which would have been my senior year, to do this in um, East Asia. And so 
that worked out well. And then also I prayed and told God that if he wanted me to go back, that my dad would have to say yes, uh, which is not, you know, easy for him to do. But he did, and he said yes. And also I told God that it would be great if I could get some, you know, nice plane tickets because when we booked them, it was right at the very end. It was very close to when I had to go back. And, um, there, you know, there were layovers for like 15 hours in airports and stuff. And I wasn't looking forward to that. But um, as it turned out, I got some really great tickets, and I don't have really any terrible layovers. Okay. And then uh, last question. So when you, when you got this invitation, was it, was it like a glowing magic envelope that said, hearken unto the voice of the Lord? Or how did you hear about this need? Um, it wasn't an envelope. It was just a Skype call. I was talking to my supervisor before my trip, like a couple weeks, and she just mentioned, she's like, hey, if you want to come live here for a year, that'd be cool. <laughs> I'm like, I'll think about it. <laughs> okay. So sometimes the call of the Lord comes from Skype, just a conversation you're having, and all of a sudden it redirects the next year of your life. Uh, open up your, your bulletins this morning. There's a post-it note. Some of you are curious uh, people, and so you've been wondering all morning about that. Uh, here's what Christine has asked. She has asked that her church family write down your favorite verse or a verse that might encourage her. She wants to take these post-it notes and just kind of put it all over her room for this year that she's in China. So it'll be our way of being able to speak the words of truth into her life. Cool idea, eh? So when you fill that out, um, come and find Christine. Are you in the back? Perfect. She'll be in the back. Uh, stick it to her somewhere. I don't know. Put it on her hand, forehead, something like that. We'll figure it out. Um, let me pray for Christine and then... Move on. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in the barber's household. I thank you for Christine just listening and responding to you. We pray your incredible success for this year. I pray, God, that you would um, teach her all the more uh, just things about you. Uh, use her as you would see fit. Father, we can't wait to hear just of the hardship, of the joys, of the surprises that go on with a trip like this. We pray that you would change Christine forever in this next year. God, we pray that you would raise up others and that it would even spur uh, us who are well past 17 uh, just to be available and to say yes to a simple invitation to meet a need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Christine. All right. If you were going to say yes to God, I don't know if you caught it, but it will disrupt your plans. It will disrupt what you have planned for the next 12 months if you say yes to God and it's, and it's somewhere else. And you will wonder and doubt uh, God's, God's confirming in this. And Christine did a good job of just praying and kind of wrestling with that and saying, okay, if this is from you, you need to open these doors. And he did. I want to I close fairly quickly with the ABCs, but really all the way through H. So it's the ABHs of, of God's call. And um, I happened to listen to a podcast about a week and a half ago uh, from John Piper speaking to a bunch of prospective missionaries. Okay, so that's his, that's his audience. And in about 20 minutes, he just kind of laid out the A through H's. That was his, you know, his great uh, acronym here. And it just so, uh, he just said it's so much condensed and better. So I just want to hand that to you. If you want to find the podcast, I'll help you with that. Uh, here's number one is answer the call of God, yes. By the way, I am saying these verbatim for what he said, uh, just to give him credit and not change his wording. Answer the, the, the call of God, yes. Do you see why this podcast perked my ears? This reminds me of the step of yes. It was, it was where my brain and heart had been tracking. That's what we've been doing with these different people. Stop saying no, or later, say yes. Here's the B. 
Believe what the Bible says. He goes on to just say this. Don't just look for specific answers. God, I'm, I'm deciding whether I should go uh, to, to East Asia for a year or not. Could you give me a verse? Instead, saturate your thinking with God's word. Sometimes there will be specific answers to specific requests. Oftentimes, it will lead you in a more general sense. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All of Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know how you get thoroughly equipped for every good work? Where your vocation calls you is you're just a person, a man or a woman or a teen of the Word. That's B. C. Confess your inadequacy in total need of Christ. It's calling out to God, I'm having to make a decision. I need you in this. I'm inadequate to see this. I can't even see past the next half hour. I'm not in control of that. So I need you in this. His D is decide. Make a choice. Take a step. Don't remain in limbo forever. God really does steer a moving ship. God, direct me. I'd love to, but you've been standing still for two years wondering what step to take. So decide. E is expect criticism from yourself and from others. Every decision you make is able to be second-guessed. Do you know that even the right, perfect decision of a leader that's been made is still called into question and criticized? I don't know how many times I make the 100% perfect call, but it's a shockingly tiny percentage of my life. So the point is, we live in a broken world. We're broken people in process. So the reality is our decisions and our directions are less than perfect much of the time. So they are open to some criticism and to some second-guessing. I don't know the process for Christina. I haven't gone down this road with her yet. But maybe even after saying yes to the 12 months, there's been some inner dialogue with her. What if, what if the person I think I'm going to be with uh, just turns out to be really not who they say they are? What if I really stink at what I'm called to do? What if, what if I never really develop a taste for scorpions? I mean, I don't know what's rolling through her mind, but, you know, she's probably had some of this inner dialogue. You will doubt yourself. Others will doubt you. The track record that we're looking at in the Old Testament is of people who are making decisions, and it's not just a smooth and straight path, right? The New Testament's filled with the same kinds of things. Here's the F. Fight against paralysis of guilt in these moments. When things don't turn out as expected, and I said when quite on purpose, because they most always won't, don't get stuck in a moment, as you too sings about. God isn't saying, you idiot. I think some of us here, parents or teachers or coaches, who've, who've gone after us after we've made some kind of mistake. Rather, wrestle with God in this. Seek after God in this. Knock after God. God, I was doing this for you. I, I, I made this decision. Help me, help me redeem this. God's in the business of redeeming uh, even our decisions like that. The G is glorify Christ with the imperfect state that you are in. 
We just had a team go to Mexico. I don't know if they went for 70% noble, pure motives and 30% vain, selfish reasons or some other percentage. But most often, there's some, there's some percentage if we're really honest with ourselves. The prayer there is to say, God, I'm imperfect. It wasn't 100% just altruistic and speak for your servant is listening. But would you take the 70% and build on that? Would you help me put to death a 30% vanity, temporal stuff that bugs me and bothers me and, and disrupts my comfort and, and, and I seek after? Would you help me with that? Glorify God in the imperfect state that you're in. The H is hope always that the best is yet to come. Take a, take a stroll by our pictures later on today. Daniel, Joseph, Jonah, David. You know that all these guys... Uh, and women in these stories had reason to doubt, giant reason to doubt, being put in prison for two years for a crime you didn't commit, being put you know, out in the wilderness for years at a time, having your kingdom overthrown and being on the run from your own son. God, are you in this? Are you with me in this? They all had reason to doubt, and yet they all hoped in a God who holds the keys and authority to it all. And that's what we want to glean from their stories. I want to invite the band up right now. As we wrap up this morning, I want to point this to Jesus by saying this. Jesus is the one who enables and sustains us in any vocation. No matter how you've been wired, how you've been gifted, where your passions and skills lie. Jesus is the one who shows us perfectly what it looks like to follow God's Paul. Do you remember how he followed through? Through sweaty drops of blood. If there's any other way, if there's any other path, could you let me take it? But what? Not my will, but yours be done. The call of God is scary. It really is. It's, it's not called a step of faith because it's just an easy path laid out. It really is a step of faith. John Newton is had his story now made famous. He's the author of the hymn, Amazing Grace. His job was that of slave trader, and yet he was called to be a liberator. He wrote these lyrics, and I just leave you with these as a, as a kind of prayer moving forward. Tis grace, grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Let's pray. Father, we trust that you are involved in our lives. I thank you for raising up a 17-year-old in our midst to just remind us of how the calling of you looks like. I pray that we as a church family would be diligent to pray for Christine. I pray, God, that we would be inspired and moved by you to, to re-engage with what that calling is. God, for those who are tired and discouraged, and worn out and wondering. God, would you ignite a flame to have them re-engage with you about that? Father, I pray that we would be a church, that we would be a community of people that would lovingly, truthfully, boldly speak into one another's lives. In Jesus' name we pray.